You are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church Carlisle, a local church in the south end of Louisville, Kentucky. For more information about the life of our church, visit us at SojournCarlisle.com. My name is Katora Wright. Uh, please remain standing for the reading of God's word. We're reading from Philemon 1, 17 through 25. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he, was wronged, if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother, may I benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, since I hope that through your prayers, I will be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my coworkers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is with great joy and pleasure that I greet you this morning. If you're visiting for us for the first time, and I do see some new faces uh, out there, welcome. We're so so excited to have you. Uh, Can you take some time to fill out this Connect card? This is a card for us to be able to connect with you, um, to get to know you, answer maybe some of the questions you have, uh, connect you to a community group if you have interest in that. Um, and just to get to know you a little bit better. Um, and of course, for our members, we want to be able to pray for you. Um, we take prayer seriously around here. We want to be able to pray for you uh, through the things that you're going through. So on the back of that card, you can also see prayer requests. It's not just for our members. If you're a non-member or a frequent visitor, feel free to fill that out and let us know how we can pray for you as we go forward. Um, today, um, we are ending our series in Philemon. And next week, we'll start a new series um, called Mosaic, and we'll do it in a, for some people, maybe uncomfortable place, outside. Uh, We're excited about this. Um, It's our annual outdoor service that we love to call uh, Church on the Lawn. So starting next week, we won't be gathering here inside, so please bring your vest. Please bring your sweatshirts. uh, Please bring your blankets. Uh, We'll have chairs to sit out there, of course, but if you want to pull out a blanket and bring a lunch or your breakfast, whatever, your brunch. I guess it'll be brunch around that time. If you want to bring your brunch with you, feel free to do that. Um, We do this for three reasons. Let me just give you a quick rundown of why we do this thing called Church on the Lawn. Number one, um, it helps eliminate one of the greatest barriers that exists between us and our community. And one of those barriers, believe it or not, is what we're in right now. It's this building. This building is huge. It's a 60 thousand square foot building. And for a lot of people, it's intimidating to come to a big church with people you don't know, um, not knowing how to really get in. Our back door is really our front door, if you not noticed that, right? Um, So there's some very uh, specific intricacies to our church community um, that someone who's visiting may not feel comfortable with or maybe find it kind of odd. So to eliminate that that barrier, we're going to go outside. Um, Number two, we want to grow our love for God and grow our love for this community. Um, I don't believe that the gospel can be preached and proclaimed to a community that we don't love. So part of us going outside is being able to be outside, yes, in the fresh air, yes, in the beauty of nature, but also um, to be able to grow a love for the community that God has planted us within here in South Louisville. Um, We're going to be able to hear uh, the cars honking. Uh, We're going to be able to see um, people walking up and down. And oftentimes when people are walking on the sidewalk, they often join us, which we are excited about um, in that way. And then last but not least, um, we want to help us. We want to help us as a church to deepen fellowship with one another. Uh, one of the great joys about church on the lawn is that you can't sit, sit in your favorite seat. <laughs> I know most of the people like, I, most, a lot, most of these people on this side like to sit on this side, and that's okay. You know, we've got our favorite pew seats. Most of us sit where we like to sit. But one of the beauties of church on the lawn is that, listen, if you come late, you probably won't be able to sit in the same place every single Sunday. And it allows you to intermingle and really interact with someone maybe that you don't know or someone that maybe God is calling you to get to know a little bit better. So for all those reasons, we we are going outside. We're excited. This is going to culminate in our fall festival. Um, And Laura Davis, um, as well as BJ Wright, is helping, among others, are helping to lead that. 
Um, if you're interested in learning about our fall festival and how you can be involved, um, please, please, there'll be a 15-minute meeting right after this church service. Um, Laura, where would you like them to meet? Right out, right out back here in the gallery. Um, see Laura. Laura, raise, raise your hand. If, if you have questions, you can talk to Laura about that. Um, historically, um, it has been said that we had 1,200 people come in our first one. I don't believe that. I don't know who said that, but, but that's not, not true. It's probably more like 600, maybe 500 Nevertheless, um, because we are a church here in the South End, because we love the South End, and honestly, because a lot of churches in the South End don't do a lot of things around um, this holiday season, um, we get a, a really great mass of people who come out and respond. And Laura's going to let you know how you can get involved and how you can put your hand to the plow to help us to allow the gospel to go forth in South Louisville and beyond. So if you have a heart for missions, if you want to know and excited about Fall Festival, which I am, please join us for that 15-minute meeting to know how you can get plugged in. All right. I'll take a breath. Uh, This morning, we'll conclude our sermon series called Reconcile. And in this series, we've been exploring the dynamics of pursuing reconciliation with someone who has intentionally wronged you. Namely, through this series, we witness how Paul is convincing Philemon to forgive his runaway slave, Onesimus, and to ultimately accept him as his equal in Christ. And listen, I don't know if you have someone in your life whom you have a hard time forgiving or maybe even relating to, but if so, this is a great, great sermon series for you. Um, Thus, in the last couple of weeks, we've examined Paul's three-step process for reconciliation. We talked about uh, the first week, refreshed by your love, verses 1 through 7. Last week, we talked about requests made in love, verse 18 through 16. And today, we'll talk about reconciled to love, verses 17 through 25. Last week, we talked about um, um, Paul's uh, specific requests uh, made in love. And the theme last week, if you don't remember, was simply this. The theme last week was this. Godly love always anchors itself in forgiveness. Godly love always anchors itself in forgiveness. Today, we'll examine Paul's final step towards reconciliation, reconciled to love. And we'll look at that in three ways. We'll look at uh, Paul's call to rehearse the gospel. Welcome him as you would me, verses 17 and 18. Remember the gospel, refresh my heart in Christ, verses 19 through 20. And last but not least, uh, reify the gospel, forgive as you've been forgiven, verses 21 through 25. And here's our theme for today. Here's our big message that we're trying to get out as we look at this final verses, these final eight verses in this great book of Philemon. Every sin is forgiven and every debt is covered by the blood of the Lamb. Every sin is forgiven. And every debt is covered by the blood of the Lamb. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and we thank you. We thank you, God, that every sin and every debt is truly covered by the blood of the Lamb. Help us, Father, to see that more clearly today as we look through these last um, very important and instrumental verses in Philemon. Jesus, we ask, as always, I ask that you take the little I have and make much of it. Glorify yourself as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we begin, I want to go back and recall something. Do you remember the five steps to achieve gospel reconciliation? We talked about these from the very first week. These are just simply five steps to achieve gospel reconciliation. It comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And here they are. The number one step is this, recognition. We have to own what we have done or what we have left undone in those broken relationships, in our broken relationships. Number two is repentance. We have to turn from our sinful past and walk in gospel integrity. Number three, reconciliation. We have to pursue relationships in full restoration and with full acceptance. Number four, restitution. We have to be intentional to pay back whatever we owe someone. Talk about that more today. And lastly, but definitely not least, is restoration. We have to continue to walk in the newness of our renewed relationship with the person that we are reconciled back to. You know, two weeks ago, we saw the first two aspects of uh, this uh, gospel reconciliation. We saw recognition and repentance. 
Do you remember recognition? In recognition, Paul was telling Philemon, he was saying, Philemon, listen, you already are being so kind to everyone else. Your joy and your love is refreshing the hearts at every saint at Colossae. Do you remember the call to repentance? He says, Philemon, your kindness needs to extend to Onesimus too, right? In other words, what he's saying to him is this, Philemon, your, your kindness is seen and known to everyone. Listen, when the person you have a problem with, when the person you have trouble with, with the person that you can't get along with steps in the room, don't change your character. <laughs> Stay the same, Philemon. Allow the same love and grace that you show to everyone else to be seen to the very person you're not reconciled with. And here's the command that, that was given in that week one sermon. Don't change who you are when Onesimus arrives into town, right? This is what Paul is telling him. Don't change who you are when Onesimus arrives into, into town. In the second week, last week, we talked about reconciliation, in regards to reconciliation, this is what we talked about. We talked about how Philemon, this is Paul's command to Philemon. Philemon, forgive Onesimus from a heart of love and not out of moral duty. Forgive him from a heart of love and not simply moral duty. And this is the command that Paul had given Philemon last week. He says, forgiveness from the heart leads to reconciliation. And he calls Philemon to do something really, really interesting. He says, remember whose he is. Remember whose he is. He doesn't talk, just talk to him about forgiving him because of what he's done. He says, listen, remember that he is now a child of the king. And it's your job as a fellow brother to treat him as such. This week, we'll look at the last two R's of the five R's of gospel reconciliation. We'll look at restitution and restoration. This week, we'll look at Paul telling Philemon, any debt that is owed, I will repay it. And by the grace of God, we'll try to parse that out on what, what that means and what that entails. And we'll also see restoration, that Paul's call to Philemon to restoration, where he says, Philemon, forgive Onesimus by doing more than I ask. Don't just do what I ask, but do more than I ask. And here's the command that we'll see today. Here's the command. Accept Onesimus as you would accept me. Because gospel reconciliation is real. Gospel reconciliation is real. And we'll see why that is true as we walk through these passages of scriptures. You might be wondering right now, why is this important? And why are we talking about this? Well, it's important because every sin is forgiven and every debt is covered by the blood of the lamb. Look with me at verses 17 and 18 to see Paul's call to rehearse the gospel. He says this. He says, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Charge that to my account. Notice here Paul's use of the word partner in this verse. The word partner is very is synonymous with the Greek word kononia. And kononia is a word of intimacy. It's a word of sharing, which means to be one in Christian fellowship with someone else. So why is Paul so adamant to call himself Philemon's partner? Well, look at verse 17. Be with me to see Paul's reasoning. He says this. If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. In other words, Paul says this. If you consider me important then here's what I need you to do. I need you to welcome him as you would welcome me. Paul is saying, no matter what he's done, no matter what he left undone, Paul is saying, receive him as you would receive and accept me. In other words, see him for who he really is, but when you see him, don't just see him, See me. You know, there's a story about a gentleman who owned his pastor, owed his pastor $8,000. The pastor had offered to help the man out of a serious financial crisis. And over time, it became obvious that the man was not going to pay the pastor back. 
Every time the pastor saw the man, he also saw his missing $8,000. And to make matters worse, the man had not even bothered to offer an explanation as to why he hadn't paid the money back yet. After many weeks, the man came to the pastor and offered his sincere apology. He finally admitted that he would not be able to pay back his debt of $8,000. So the pastor made a decision in that instant. He chose to forgive the man his debt and thereby released him from the debt he owed and promised never to raise the subject of the canceled debt again. In releasing his debtor and forgiving the debt, the pastor also released himself from the anger, frustration, and hurt of being owed a debt that he was being intentionally, intentionally neglected from, being paid. And now they both were instantaneously freed. Now the pastor didn't have to look at the man from the pulpit and think of the missing debt. And this man didn't have to walk in the shame of his inability to pay a debt back that he couldn't afford. The beauty of this story reminds us that in forgiveness, that we are able not just to forgive forgive the person that we see, we're also to forgive and release ourselves from the shame of bitterness, heartache, and frustration. And why is he calling Philemon to do this? Why is he calling him to welcome him as he will welcome me? Because every sin is forgiven and every debt is covered by the blood of the lamb. Let me try to make it clear another way. We've been talking about this uh, for the last three weeks, but you remember the saying that we got um, that reconciliation cannot happen between two unequal parties? We we showed two images uh, of this right here, of Philemon trying to reconcile to Onesimus, who's not on his level. And we see that in, in an attempt to try to reconcile to someone who's not on his level, Philemon is simply bringing upon condemnation upon Onesimus as a freed man. We see also in the reverse aspect that in an unequal relationship, Onesimus trying to recognize with Philemon, it's impossible because he is still being seen as a slave. And what we see here is that reconciliation cannot happen between two unequal parties, that something has to happen in order for us to see each other as being equals. So how will Paul call Philemon and Onesimus to come into agreement, to come into reconciliation? You know, the Greek word for reconciliation is this Greek word called katalage. It means to literally exchange places with someone, to exchange places with one another. I love how uh, Wayne Grudem puts it in Uh, defines reconciliation in his uh, systematic theology book. He says this, that reconciliation is defined as the removal of enmity and the restoration of of fellowship between two parties. It is the removal of enmity and the restoration of fellowship between two parties. So what does this look like to be reconciled with someone? We see this in this image right behind me. Do you see this image where Philemon and Onesimus are on the same playing field? They see eye to eye. They're looking at each other, not as being unequal or unbalanced, but they're looking at each other as equals. Equals in Christ, congruent, on the same plane, if you will. So what does it mean for Philemon and Onesimus to walk in congruence? What does it mean for them to walk on level playing field, if you will, means for them to trust in a power higher than them, to trust in the atoning work of Christ to find equality so that reconciliation can be pursued. We say it a lot at our church, but I'm going to say it again. Identity precedes function, right? That, That who you are in Christ, who you are in Christ is so much more important than simply what you do that God always responds to us out of identity before our function. A lot of times when we meet someone, the first question we want to ask is this, what do you do? (laughs) What do you do for work? How do you make a living, right? What do you do with your time? What hobbies do you like to do? But listen, when we meet God and and when God uh, introduces himself to us, the first thing he asks us is not what do you do. He asks you, you, who are you? 
Are you my child or are you not my child? Have you been washed in the blood of the lamb? Does your identity find itself in me? Or does it find itself in somewhere else, in some other thing? This is the doctrine of justification at its finest, you know. Again, I love what Wayne Grudem says about justification in his systematic theology book. He says this. He says, justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he, one, thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us, and two, that he declares us to be righteous in his sight. I love this because it reminds us that salvation isn't just saying, I'm forgiven. Salvation isn't just saying, I am forgiven. Salvation reveals the fact as if I have never, ever, ever sinned before. It's not just that your sins are forgiven. It's that God looks at you through the blood of Christ, and he looks at you as if you have never, ever sinned before. Heidelberg Catechism Actually, question number 20 puts it this way. It says, how are you righteous before God? Here's the answer that the Heidelberg Catechism gives. It says, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commands of, and of never having kept any of them and of still being inclined towards all evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sure, sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the pure satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. As if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, and as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me, all I need to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that your righteousness doesn't depend upon you? Isn't it good news to know that your righteousness isn't dependent upon what you do or don't do, but your righteousness is found in Jesus? Isn't it good news to know that Jesus looks at you, not just that your sins are forgiven, but he looks at you as if you have never, ever, ever sinned at all? Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, this is good news. And let me tell you why it's good news, because every sin is forgiven and every debt is covered by the blood of the precious Lamb of God. If our righteous isn't enough to be forgiven by God, where should we look? Look with me at verses 17 through 18. Again, rehearsing the gospel. Listen to what Paul says in these words. He says, if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, he says, charge that to my account. Notice Paul's, clear, Paul's directive is clear. If he owes you anything, look to me and not to him. Look to me and not to him. If he owes you anything. Now, this insinuates that, yes, maybe Onesimus ran away because he does owe Philemon something. Scholars debate, but most scholars agree that Onesimus had actually stolen some money from Philemon. And that's what caused him to be on the run as a fugitive. And now Paul has found him, and he has saved him, and now he's sending him back to the very man whom he's stolen money for. And Paul is saying, listen, when you see the offender, don't think of him as you would think of him. Think of him as you think of me. And listen, not only that, if he owes you anything, look to me and not to him. The ESV Bible puts it this way. It says, Roman society expected brutal punishment of fugitive slaves and bond servants at time resulting in death. Thus, Paul is asking Philemon to do something quite extraordinary by forgiving Onesimus' debt. We saw early the doctrine of justification. Here we see the doctrine of penal substitution at its finest. What is the doctrine of penal substitution? Wayne Grudem, he puts it this way. He says, it is the view that Christ in his death bore the just penalty of God for our sins as a substitute for us. That God placed all of our sin and all of our shame on Jesus. He placed it on the cross of Calvary. 
for our forgiveness and for our redemption. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8 puts it this way. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might dare to die. But God proved his own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, all of us are trying to find a certain way to be clean before God. I was reminded of this actually last Sunday uh, when we, my family and I decided to go um, down here to Wyandotte Park to play pickleball. Um, I'm spontaneous at times. So around 7.30, no, it was by like 6.30, 7. I said, hey, hey y'all, let's, let's get in the car and let's go play pickleball. We've never played pickleball. Maybe once or twice, maybe. And everyone's like, oh, okay. I finally convinced everybody to go. So we're all there and we're playing pickleball and we're doing our thing um, and having fun. And we see some guys over to the left of us at the soccer field playing soccer, doing, you know, maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 men. And all of a sudden, as we're playing pickleball, uh, these group of men, about seven or eight of them, get in this long line and start looking to the east. And they start bowing in prayer. Mm, They are praying to their God and and looking to him, right, for, um, I'm assuming they're a Muslim. um, But I don't know. But I would assume that that's true. But as I was looking at them praying, and as I was looking at them, you know, so, uh, oh, I don't even know what the word is. Um, I don't want to say intense because that's, that's too hard of a word. But so uh, um, determined, I guess. I don't know the right word to use. But as I looked at them in their seriousness and, and in praying and, and looking and, and bowing and standing and sitting and bowing, I just said, man, I thought to myself, I said, man, all of us are trying to keep ourselves clean, right? In some way, shape, or form, all of us are trying to find and answer the question, how can I be clean before God? How can I allow God to accept me? And for those Muslim men at that time, it, it was praying, right? Praying at least three times a day, maybe even four or five, right? But they, they'd take the time to, to pray to their God, to look to him so that they might be clean. You know, all of us are trying to be clean. All of us are trying to use measures and use different things. And listen, I'm here today because I want to encourage you that, listen, only by the blood of Christ, only by the blood of Jesus is every sin forgiven and every date that is canceled, only by the blood. You know, some of us try to live life like this image here. We try to have white shirts with dirty hands, right? We know that our hands are dirty because we live in a dirty and broken world. So what we do is we just keep that stuff outside of us. And as long as it doesn't come near me, right, as long as it, I, don't, I don't make my shirt dirty, I'm good. <laughs> as long as my hands are out here, I'm fine, right? I know I have dirty hands, but if those dirty hands don't touch me, then I don't become dirty. That is usually someone who's, trying to avoid the reality of the dirt, right? And that usually leads to legalism. There's another image I want to show you. This is the image of not just dirty hands, but dirty shirt, right? It's like, look, I live in a broken world, and I don't care. This world is broken. I'm broken, so I'm just going to live in it, right? I'm just going to, man, it just is what it is, right? I'll figure out how to get clean later. I'm just trying to live this life. I'm just trying to do the best I can. This is usually leads to a place what we call of, of hedonism, right? An, ex, an, an adventure and a, and a, and a, a desire for, for pleasure, ultimate desire for pleasure over everything. But listen, this is what I want you to see, this image here. This is an image that I saw. It took me a long time to try to get an image like this. It's not the perfect image. It's not the perfect image. But you notice what was, what's up with this picture? Although there's dirt, right, although there's spilling, although there's brokenness, and although there's hardship, right, those things, yes, can come to me, but because of the blood of Christ, <laughs> because of the blood of Lamb, he is what makes me clean. My shirt stays clean not because I keep my hands away, 
My shirt isn't not clean because I, I, I'm touching my shirt all the time. My shirt, my soul is clean only because of the blood of the lamb. And God looks at you this way, beloved. He sees you as if you never have sinned, ever sinned. Your shirt is completely white before God because of the forgiveness that he offers through the blood of Jesus Christ. What a great message and what a great image. Trust in the blood. Look to the blood. Ask God to cover you in the blood of Christ. Even right now, identity precedes function. Who you are is so much more important. Simply what you do or don't do. Thank God for Philippians 1.5. Because Philippians 1.5 reminds us that the completed work of Christ is not a work that you can complete on your own. Philippians 1.5 simply says this, that he who began the good work will is faithful to complete it. And beloved, listen to me. If you are out under the sound of my voice and you have been striving, right, you've been trying to keep bad things away from you, or maybe you're just all in it, right, you just, you just, your shirt just dirty. Regardless of where you are, he who began a good work in you is faithful to keep you clean because of the blood of Christ. I hope that's encouragement for you that you don't have to do it. Now, listen, God gives you love and he gives you obedience and he empowers you by his spirit to want to do the godly things in your life. But only God can make, can make you and give you that unction to want to do what's right. Look with me in verses 19 through 20 to be reminded of Paul's command. Remember the gospel. He says here, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother, may I benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Notice, Paul affirms Onesimus' worth by signing his own name. In this day and time, it was very common to have apprentices or men or women, um, specifically men, to write on your behalf. So it literally would look like Paul sitting or standing and walking around and talking and dictating as someone is writing the words that is being spoken. What is beautiful here is that at this moment when Paul uh, quotes this verse or writes this verse in verse 19, it's almost like he goes to his apprentice, most likely Timothy, and he takes the pen out of Timothy's hands and he goes to the letter and he begins himself to write these words out. Paul is saying, (laughs) I'll be accountable. I'll be accountable for any debt that he owes. And he signs his name as a personal guarantee that he personally will repay any loss that Philemon occurred. I wish I could see the original transcript of this document, because if you see it, you probably will see two different handwritings at this point. You'll see Timothy's handwriting all the way up to this point, and all of a sudden you see some, uh, some other type of handwriting coming on the, the pages of this letter, this epistle to Philemon. So what does it look like to have someone sign their name to pay your debt? You know, I never really had that happen in my life, except for through the atoning work of Jesus. But let me ask you this. What if someone offered you to pay, excuse me, what if someone offered to pay you a million dollars for a single day work? (laughs) What if someone offers you a million dollars just to work one day? Would you take it? Yes. Uh, Yes, you probably would. I would too, depending on what that work is. Um, Well, if you take the deal or if you wouldn't take a deal, this woman right here took it. This woman is Cicely Tyson, and her life story was featured in Essence magazine earlier this year, August 4, 2022. And the title of the article was this, Why Tyler Perry Paid Cicely Tyson $1 Million for a Day's Work. Tyler Perry says this, he says, this woman had done so many amazing things, but she wasn't well compensated for it. She made $6,000 for Sounder, you know. I wanted to make sure she knew that there were people who valued her. 
So she did one day of work on my 2007 film, Why Did I Get Married? And I paid her a million dollars. Perry went on to say, I love working with her and it makes me feel great that I have, I was in a position to give this incredible woman some security in her later years. You know, as an African-American woman working in Hollywood, Cecily Tyson was not always treated fairly in regards to role placement recognition and especially within the category of compensation. Unfortunately, this legendary actress actually passed on to be with the Lord on January 28, 2001. But her acting career spanned seven long decades of working in film, television, and theater. You know, as I read this story, I couldn't help but think of not just the doctrine of justification, not just the doctrine of penal substitution, but listen, the, the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. This doctrine says this about it. Miller Erickson in his book, Christian Doctrine, says it this way. He says, by substituting himself for us, Jesus actually bore the punishment due to us, appeasing the Father and effected a reconciliation between God and humankind. What is the doctrine of substitutionary atonement? Gruden puts it this way. He says, it's the work Christ did in his life and death to earn our salvation. It's the work he did in his death and life to earn our salvation. Galatians 4 puts it this way. It says, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and also as daughters. Praise our God for his generosity in every way. You see, in Tyler Perry's generosity, we not only see substitutionary atonement, but we also see this doctrine of imputation. The doctrine of imputation simply says this. Uh, It teaches that while Adam's sin is imputed to us because he is our natural federal head, God imputes or accredits the righteousness and suffering of, of Christ to those who are in him and conversely imputes the sins of, uh, of the redeemed to Christ. So what this is saying is that not only does Paul, when he says, I am writing this, it reminds us of Christ's love for us. That not only does Christ steps in and pays the penalty that is due us, but he also gives us something. He gives us his righteousness. There is an exchange at the cross of Calvary. Whereas Jesus is on the cross dying for human sin, he is taking every sin, he is taking every shame, he is taking every mishap and mistake that we can ever do on that cross, and he's taking it upon himself, and he put it in a burial tomb to be buried for eternity. But in exchange, as Jesus took on our sins, he gave us something else. He imputed to us, gave us. His righteousness. Love how one commentary puts it. It says this, he, Paul, personally signs the letter to guarantee his commitment. What an example. What love. Anyone wanting to bring about reconciliation must be ready to pay the price, to be personally involved. This is the way in which Christ takes on himself the debt of our sin. This is how God receives us as his sons and daughters. What grace is this? So how will Paul's heart be refreshed? Look with me in verses 21 through 25 as we end uh, our, our sermon series here. It says, since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest home for me, since I hope that through your prayers I will be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow uh, prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, I remember earlier in verse 7, Paul talked about how Philemon's great love had encouraged the saints. He puts it this way. He says, for I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, dear brother. Paul is saying this. Earlier in the beginning of of the chapter, He talked about how Philemon's love was evidently seen at the church of Colossae. Everybody knew it. Everyone experienced it. Everyone felt it. But now Paul is saying, you've refreshed everyone else's heart. Now here's how you can refresh my heart. 
Here's how you can make me happy. Here's how you can bring me joy. Notice what Paul's sentiments is. He says, I'm writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. I love this because I talk about it often with our staff about gospel creativity. Gospel creativity means that the gospel is our boundary. It is the the bounds in which we find creative expression. But within that bounds, there's no limitation to how we can be creative towards our Savior. The gospel provides boundaries, but it doesn't provide limitations. This is where you can find hope even in parenting. Is that, listen, your parenting may look different than mine, but as long as the gospels are the boundary, I am free as a parent to be as creative, how God has created me, right, through my strengths and my weaknesses, through my joys and my sorrows. I can be as creative as I want to be as, and how God has created me to be as the parent that God has called me to be. The same thing is for marriage. The same thing is for relationships. The same thing. It's for a lot of different areas of our life. Here are four main thoughts on this aspect of Paul saying, you will do, uh, do more than even than I say. He says this. Here are four options for us. Number one, uh, what is Paul saying? Number one, this is one option. Paul is saying to welcome Onesimus back enthusiastically and not grudgingly. Number two, Paul is saying to permit Onesimus to minister along Philemon as an equal in Christ. Number three, he's saying to forgive any others who might have wronged or offended Philemon beyond Onesimus. But number four is what I believe Paul is calling him to do, specifically Philemon. He's calling him to pardon and forgive Onesimus by canceling his debt of slavery and allow him to return back to Paul as a freed man. I believe that this is the point where Paul is actually calling for Onesimus' freedom. There are a lot of reasons why I, I think of that. Let me give you a couple. I asked you the question last week, can a slave be a brother? Can a slave be a brother? The answer is actually no. Can't be. The beautiful aspect of what's happening right now is that Paul understands that he is under Roman authority as far as uh, looking, having the church, all the churches that have been planted are under the Greco-Roman society. He, they're under the authority. And instead of telling everyone to listen, revolt and rebel against Rome, because if they do that, they'll be squashed in an instance. What Paul calls them to do is something revolutionary. He says, listen, slavery is wrong. It is wrong. This is how I want you to defeat it. I want you to defeat it by looking to Jesus and walking together in reconciliation one to another. I want you to be the example. How do I know this? Because in the very beginning of the book, Paul doesn't write this this letter just to Philemon. Remember, he writes it to the church at Colossae. This is a public letter, not just to, it's not a private letter to Philemon. Paul is publicly giving the entire church a worldview and an understanding of how to literally abolish slavery, not through just going through protests, but living and understanding that Jesus makes us all equal at the foot of the cross, and therefore I need to treat you as such even if society gives me permission not to do so. That the blood of Christ that spilled on Calvary cross speaks greater than the Roman Empire. It speaks greater than an American empire, any other empire that this world has to offer. That the blood of Jesus is what I submit my heart, my soul, and allegiance to. So Paul leaves it open-ended. He says, listen, Philemon, you've heard me up to this point, so now this is what I need you to do. Do more than I asked. (laughs) I've already asked you to be him and be a brother. I already asked that you forgive him. Do more than I ask. And listen to me, if you are in unreconciled relationships right now, maybe with your wife or maybe with your children or with your parents, this is the same command that God gives us today. Do more than I ask. Don't simply forgive. Don't simply forget. Do more than I ask. With gospel creativity, with gospel ingenuity, allow the gospel to be the basis of every relationship that you have in this world. I'm thankful 
for this book. I'm thankful for God's word. Because in it, we see that Paul is giving us a little sprinkle of what it looks like to walk in gospel unity. He's planting the seeds. He's giving the ideas. He's giving permission to allow the blood of Christ to unify, to rectify, and to abolish slavery, even in the midst of one of the most world's greatest powers and authorities. I love what, I just want to read this to end. Because remember, Philemon wasn't written on its own. It was written in conjunction with Ephesians, Colossians, um, and Philippians. And as I was preparing for the sermon, the Lord brought back to my memory what something that Paul wrote in Colossians 1. And I want to read it over you today as a blessing and as permission to allow the gospel to be the basis for any and every relationship, unreconciled relationship you may find yourself in. Let me read these words over you in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. Jesus, that is, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn all over all creation. For everything was created by him um, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul continues to say, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy and faultless and blameless before you, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become servant of it. Paul writes these words to the Church of Colossae, the same group that's hearing this wonderful book of Philemon written to Philemon and to that people to remind them of the sufficiency and the power and authority of Jesus. That is, Jesus is your foundation. And if Jesus is the way that unreconciled relationships can find reconciliation, amen? Notice with me again, whom Paul writes these letters to. He, he, he names a lot of people at the end, but I just want to highlight two people before I pray. Paul identifies Mark, and he identifies Demas. If you don't know about Mark, Paul and Mark have a rough history together. <laughs> Barnabas and Paul and Mark were on a missionary journey, and for some reason, Mark ended up deserting them and leaving them, and it left a sour taste in Paul's mouth. So, Barnabas wanted to continue on the journey and allow Mark to go with them, but Paul said, no, I can't, I can't be with that dude. <laughs> he deserted me once. I don't know if he'll do it again. So Paul ended up going on another missionary journey with Silas, and Barnabas ended up taking Mark, and there was a split. There was a rift that happened between them. But here in the book of Philemon, in Paul's last days, we see him being comforted and being in the presence of a man that he once was unreconciled with. Not only that, we also see this man named Demas. Demas is a man whom in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, is described as who loved the world and the things of it, and he deserted Paul as a result. And now Paul is purposely bringing up his name to remind Philemon that, listen, I know God can reconcile your broken relationships because he has already reconciled mine. And we are thankful to God that he is a God who can reconcile our broken relationships. Amen. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we love you and thank you. We thank you, God, that your blood is sufficient to forgive every sin and to cancel every debt. We pray and ask that you would be with us, that you would strengthen us in that way. Remind us, God, of the sufficiency of your word and the sufficiency of the person of Jesus. May we look to him with hope in every way. Father, I pray for those who under the sound of my voice who don't know you, who maybe are wondering about who you are as God and Savior. I pray, Lord, that you would allow them 
to not just hear about Jesus, but to respond well to the gospel that Jesus came as a, as through, the, through the womb of a virgin and Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus went on the cross, not for sins that he himself had done, but Jesus died for the sins of the world. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, we can find forgiveness. We can find reconciliation. We can find redemption through the blood that's shed at Calvary's cross. May someone find that the blood that was shed 2,000 years ago was not just 2,000 years ago. It was shed for them today. I pray that in the mighty and strong name of Jesus. Amen. At this time, we celebrate a meal called communion that we are able to follow Jesus' command to be reminded of his sacrificial death, the death on the cross. This meal is only for those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are following Jesus, who are looking to him. So if you are a follower of Jesus, we invite you from this to partake of this meal with us. If you are not, we ask that you refrain from taking it, as this meal is only reserved for those who are about the lordship of Christ. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, broke it, and blessed it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Let us eat of that bread together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the same way, he took a cup and navigated it, thanks and blessing it. He said, take, drink. This is the blood of the new covenant. Share for the forgiveness of sin. Let us drink of that cup together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and preaching of his word. Amen. Amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor of Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a multi-ethnic church that is firmly rooted in the diverse community of South Louisville. We are seeking to equip our members for gospel engagement and practical, effective ministry to the poor, the marginalized, and disenfranchised here in the south end of Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit our website or email us at info at soldiercarlisle.com. God bless.